go ahead and read our scripture tonight, and um, we're going we're gonna to read a little bit of a lengthy passage here this evening, but I hope that it'll be a help to you, and as you'll follow along in your Bibles in Exodus chapter number 15, just to prepare you, we'll read all the way down to verse number 21. Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21, and uh, it's good to give attendance to reading, amen? And uh, so let's look here at verse number 1. It says, well, I guess maybe I should give you a little bit of context before we just jump right into this. Thank you, sweetheart. If you know your Bibles a little bit, maybe this will be a, just a refresher to you, but uh, Exodus 14 has just taken place, and in Exodus 14, we know that that is the account of the Red Sea, and how God delivered the children of Israel through the Red Sea. He brought them over, brought them out of Egypt, and uh, through all the plagues, and he has just now delivered them, and the whole army of Egypt has been destroyed in the Red Sea, and they are now on their way to the promised land. Of course, we know the rest of the story, what happens there before they get there, uh, and 40 long years and in between, but we're not quite there yet. What we're seeing here tonight in Exodus 15 is really these people that have crossed over the Red Sea, and they've seen the mighty hand of God, and they do the thing that is only right and, might I say, natural to any redeemed, saved human being, whenever they've been saved by God, they begin to praise the Lord. They praise the Lord. And a great statement in Psalm 107 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. And you know, that is really what these people are doing. They're praising God. And tonight I want us to see that we need in our church tonight, we need in our church, and I believe in every church, but in our church specifically is this, is that we need a revival of singing, a revival of praising, of lifting up our voices unto the Lord and giving Him the praise that, as it says, that is what? Due unto His name. We ought to give Him the praise, we ought to give Him the glory that is due unto his name. And in Exodus 15, we see some praise that is due to the name of God when it says to us in verse number 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God." And I will prepare him in habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. He chosen his captains also, his chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. 
And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the earth. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them, and they sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led them forth, the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in the strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. The, then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them. Take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arms they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people shall pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea." And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered, saying, Sing yet unto the sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And all God's people said, Amen. The real account of the Red Sea experience is recorded for us not just in the book of Exodus, but it is found in so many other parts of God's holy word that it cannot be denied. It is found in Joshua, in Judges, it's found in the Psalms, it's found in Kings, it's found in the Acts of the Apostles, it's found in the Old, it's found in the New, it's found everywhere throughout God's holy word, and this was a real historical account. Just as real as the American Civil War or World War II or the invasion of the Nazis into Poland or the war in Afghanistan or whatever you want to mark down in history, this was a real event and a real event that we're still talking about today. And we've been preaching from this book of Exodus and we've shifted our focus a little bit as we've been looking in this life of Moses to seeing that the church really needs a God-sent, a heaven-sent revival upon us. And I think that all of us should be able to say amen to that. I mean, the church is in a desperate, needy place. I speak of our church, but I speak of every church. A churches need a great revival from God. And I've even termed this, this here tonight a Red Sea revival. <laughs> That's what this is. I mean, this is what happens when you have a revival. God works in an amazing way. He produces seeable results. 
It saves people and delivers them from an enemy and gives them a new perspective and they begin to sing and praise the Lord. That's what happens in a revival oftentimes, isn't it? God does an amazing thing, does an amazing work, produces seeable results, people are saved and people are delivered and God's people are helped and people begin to praise the Lord. Praising God. And that's where we get our text here tonight in verse number 11 where it says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? So my point tonight is simple. If you have no praise of God in your heart, you're not revived. That's pretty simple. And if you've never found a reason to praise God, then... Well, you're probably not a Christian. I wouldn't even say probably. I would say that you're not a Christian. Because a Christian will praise God. A believer in the Lord, a believer in Jesus Christ will praise the Lord. That is something that you find in every single person that is a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you've never sung a Christian hymn. I'm not even saying that you praise God tonight in what you said. I've even oftentimes spoken to unbelievers that have been in a service, and they come away, and they, they say to me, they say, Pastor, they say, that was a great service. They were unbelievers. Or they might even say, uh, Pastor, y'all, y'all put on a good floor show today. Uh, y'all, really, y'all really did a really good job. I mean, the music and its instruments and the vocalist can be well prepared and the sermon could just be on point just like it needs to be said and everything can be, be doing, done just perfectly. But that doesn't mean that you praise the Lord. You might have even got goosebumps, but you might have not praised the Lord. You might have had a good time, but you might not have praised the Lord. Uh, a rock concert, an opera, an orchestra. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir can make you have goosebumps, okay? All right? So uh, understand that just because I have these particular things in my life does not necessarily mean that I've praised the Lord. But when you read Exodus 15, when you read the book of Acts, chapter number 2, when you read the historical account of Paul and Silas in prison, praising God and lifting up to praise the God, even though they've been beaten and battered and, born, and, and they're in prison praising the Lord, we are immediately tossed into a totally different position, position, and that is this, that praising God, praising God is not a feeling. That praising God is not even necessarily an experience that produces uh, goosebumps or a good time. But praising God is a result of God changing us. It's a result of God changing us. God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Praising God is therefore not necessarily something that we do, but it is rather something that God has done in us and worked through us so that we might praise God, listen here, for who He is. That is most important tonight. And that will be our first point here in just a moment. But we must always learn to praise God for who He is. And then secondly, always learn what follows next is praising God for what He has done. You see that perfectly outlined in verse number 1. Look what it says. It says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously. Did you see that? He says, I will sing unto who? The Lord. And then it says, who has triumphed 
gloriously, who, who, who threw the horse and his rider into the sea. Look at verse number 11. Again, we find the praise of God here. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? And then at the end of the verse, what does it say? Doing wonders. You see, that is always the order. Never get it mixed up. How do we praise God? How can I praise God? Even though I'm like Annie Flint Johnson who's lying in a bed with a terminal illness and cannot get up. Even though I've got stage four cancer and there's no hope for my survival. Uh, even though that my financial situation looks like there is no end in sight and doesn't like I, looks like I'll ever be able to be in a place where I'll be financially able to do the, do the things that I want to do with my life. What, how do you continue to praise God in all of those situations and trials and difficulties in life? This is how. How can you as, how can you, listen, how can you as a missionary, a missionary that started a work and you have Put your blood, sweat, and tears into that thing. And the work that you have started down there has literally almost killed you. That's like the missionary that I know in Guyana. And you're sitting at home while your work continues on and your intestines begin to separate one by one. And yet you can do nothing to help. How can you still praise God? You can still praise God because of this. Because of who God is. Every single morning... When I wake up and I start to pray to God, I try to always begin my prayers by saying, God, I thank you for who you are, that you are a good God, long-suffering, merciful, kind, and good to me. Always begin praising God for who he is. That's how we start. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must first of all believe that he is. That he is. Just believe in God. Just trust him. Just know him. Moses said, hereby shall you know the Lord, that he hath sent me to do all of these works. We must know God. We must seek him out. We must praise him for who he is. For what, he is, for, what, for who he is in our lives. Look at verse number two even. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Uh, look at verse three. The Lord is a man of war. This is who he is. The Lord is his name. This is who he is. We see all the way down through here that God is telling us who he is and that is how we should praise him. I will sing unto the Who? Oh, come on, you can do better than that tonight, I think. I know, I know we've lost a couple of people because of Mother's Day and everything like that on a Sunday night, but I think you can do a lot better than that. I will sing unto who? The Lord. the Lord. Amen. What does the Lord mean? When you see that in those all caps letters, what does it mean in your Bibles? It means simply this. It means Jehovah. Uh, our King James translators decided that a good way in order, to, uh, ha in order to translate the word Jehovah over and over again is to translate it as Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. He is the eternal, if you want to know what Jehovah means, that's, this means simply this, the eternal self-existent one. That's what Lord means, eternal and self-existing. I am that I am. Tell them that I am that I am sent you. What does that mean? The eternal self -ex He needs help from nobody. That's just one of his names. He has the name Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord of peace. He has the name Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord who heals. He has the name Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner. 
And you could go on and on and on with the names of God that are found there. You have the name Adonai, which means Lord, Master, capital L-O-R-D. You find his names are all, they're plentiful throughout the word of God. And his names speak to who he is. A wonderful study in your Bibles would just be to go through the word of God. And as you read the word of God, find the names of God. And just underline them, capitalize them, highlight them. Make sure you're seeing that this is the names of God. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, probably one of the most beautiful accounts of the names of God. Wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These are the names of the Lord. Well, let's notice a couple of things of who God says he is and why we should praise him for it. It says in verse number 2, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He is become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Let me just say a word, a footnote here with this where he says, My Father's God. Isn't it amazing to, to just consider that Moses' father worshipped the Lord too? I tell you, that's a beautiful testimony, anybody that's a parent here tonight, to encourage you that your children one day would be able to call out to your God. Amen? To call out to your Lord, to pray to your God, that your children would not only just have a relationship with you, but they would have a relationship with your Lord and Savior. I pray for that. He is my strength. Think about that. Any strength that you have is of God. I don't care if you're saved or unsaved. If you're a believer or not a believer, that makes no difference whatsoever. It doesn't matter. God is your strength. The reason you and I can lift our heads and look up tonight, the reason we can listen to the sermon, the reason that we can see or do anything is because of God. God is your strength. If you're a believer, a child of God, then you can confidently say he is your strength and you should be able to praise him for it. Praise God for the strength that he has given to you. And then notice what he says here. He says, he is my song. Think about that. God is my song. What is a song? I was thinking about this. Meditate. What is a song? A song is... This is so general, I'm sorry, but a song is about something, right? I know that sounds so general and so simple, but a song is about something. I, Dr. Getch wouldn't like me using the word thing there, would he, Alex? You know what I mean? He would, he would say that's a bad point right there. Something. It's about something. It's about life. Uh, it's about your love life. It's about your problems. It's, uh, a song is about your woes. It's about your trials. It's about the good times. It's about the bad times. A song, in many times, is oftentimes fantasy, too, isn't it? A song, uh, it kind of it, it, it brings you over to a place that is not reality. It brings you into a place where you're, where you're maybe you're rich, or you're living it up, or you're having a good time, or your bad times are going away, and only good times are here, are here to stay. I didn't mean to rhyme that or anything, uh, but a, a song is sometimes, it's a lot of times it's just a made-up fantasy world. And when you come down after singing the song, you sadly realize you're still stuck in a miserable, wretched world that is full of hate and evil and death. But not if God is your song. Not if God is your song. Your song is God. It's about the Lord. It's about God. 
Look at your hymn book. There's over 800 songs about God in our hymn books right in front of you. And that's just a very short list of them. There are many more out there. I sometimes pull out our hymn book and I say to myself, you know what? I want to sing this song. And I, and I look at my hymn book and say, it's not there. Uh, why? We can't put them all in there. We'd have a book as big as a Strong's Concordance if we did. But songs that praise the Lord, when, our, when, when God is our song, it doesn't matter what has happened in your life, you can sing even when your, life, even when your wife and kids have been killed in a shipwreck, right? You can sing uh, that wonderful song, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul by H.G. Spafford wrote that after his wife and children were killed in a, in a shipwreck. How can he do that? Because he knows who God is. That's how. God is his song. And then not also his song, but our salvation. Not that he saved me. I understand we're not talking about what God has done. I'm just talking about who God is. He saved me, yes. But God himself, if I can put it like this, is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Jonah cried out from the belly of the whale and says, salvation is of the Lord. Because that's who he is. He is salvation. Do you believe these things? Do you trust in these things? Then are you praising God? Are you praising the Lord? See, what happens in every single revival that happens is there's this common element. That people that are saved, regenerated, people that get a grip on who really God is, they begin to praise the Lord. And we could go on in this text and see more things about God, but our time fails us here this evening. But notice, if you will, just one more point here in verse number 11. It says, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? Can you imagine these children of Israel? They've left, uh, they've left the country of Egypt. They've left all of these idols that they had there. I don't know what it looked like in Egypt, but I can imagine that the idolatry was just rampant. It was just everywhere. Everywhere you look, idols everywhere. Everywhere you look, there was some kind of idol to this God or to that God. It must have been such a wicked place to see. I've been to India before and I've seen a lot of idolatry there. And just and at some points, there's at some points that you cannot, you don't even want to look at the Hindu temples and the idols that they have because they're so immoral and ungodly. I can't imagine what it looked like there. And they've left that place. They've not only seen God in the Red Sea experience, but they've also seen God destroy ten of these gods, basically, and put them down. And they're walking through the Red Sea, and they get out of the Red Sea, and come to the other side, and they say this to the Lord, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? It's not that they're claiming that the gods of the Egyptians are real gods. They're just making an emphatic point, saying, basically, who are these gods? Among the gods, who are, I mean, come on, give me a break. Who is like God, Amen. There's nobody like him who can do the things that God can do. That's, that's why we should never lose the amazement and the thrill and the satisfaction that we get from reading the book of, the book of Genesis. 
reading how God created the heavens and the earth, reading how God established the, the, established the Jewish people, or reading how God in the book of Exodus uh, brought Moses to the burning bush. We should never tire or grow old of reading all of the wonderful miracles of God in the Old Testament and in the New. We should never grow tired of the, reading those things because what does that do for us? It says to us, who is like our God? We should never grow tired of reading the gospel accounts, especially those last three or four chapters, amen? Where we read about Jesus going to a cross and dying there for us and then rising again the third day. Let us never, let that never grow old in our minds and our hearts because it lets us realize there is nobody like our God and we should praise Him for it. Praise Him. But our second point is critical too. And it flows out of this point of who God is. And that is what God has done. We should praise God for who he is, but let us never forget too that we should also praise him for what he has done. As I said already, our first verse illustrates that perfectly. I will sing unto the... Oh, come on. I thought you were going to do better on that one. I already trained you. All right, let's try it again. I will sing unto the Lord. Right, we'll sing unto the Lord for who he is. Right? Say that with me. For what? For who he is. Secondly, we sing unto the Lord. We'll praise him for what he has done. Can you say that? For what he has done. We will praise the Lord for what he has done. Look what it says in verse number 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? I feel... A little inept in this sermon, I feel like I'm leaving so much out here, especially when I read verse number 11 where it says glorious in holiness. God is a holy God, folks. He is a holy, righteous God. It is his number one perfection. It defines him. It is who he is. It is everything about God is holy. He has no sin within him, and he cannot stand to even look upon sin. He abhors it. He hates it. That is who God is. We ought to praise him for being a holy God. The old Christian Plutarch said, It is a worse thing to say that the Lord is not holy than to say there is no Lord at all. And I think he has a very good point. To say there is no Lord at all is one thing. But to say that God is not holy is a total distortion upon God, creation, and every single thing, every single thing that you see in this world. For if we are to say that God is not holy then we are to say that God is responsible for every single bit of sin and suffering and death and pain that this world has ever experienced and known. But folks, we read our Bibles. And our Bible lets us know that God is God of holiness. And there's no sin that exists within inside of God. And there's no sin that he can ever commit nor condone. 
And man of his own free volition and will chose to sin against God and go against his commandments. And we ourselves brought into this world sin, death, and judgment upon the whole entire world. God is holy. We ought to praise him for it. But we praise him for what he's done. We praise him for what he's done. Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah said. And then God proved it by vomiting him out onto dry land. Now, it's not always a pleasant way to uh, be proved that God does good things. But no salvation, no deliverance, yet God is still salvation. You say, is that correct theology? Yes. You say, I haven't been helped, though, in my situation. I haven't had my request answered. Is God still good? Is God still my salvation? I still haven't seen him do anything. You know, though I do not even have enough strength to lift my head, God is still your strength. And tonight we should always understand that aren't you glad that though those things may happen, and though God is my song, and though God is my strength, and though I should praise God just for who he is, aren't you glad that God also backs it up for what he has done for us? Aren't you glad that he does show himself strong? Aren't you glad that he does give us a reason to sing? Amen? Aren't you glad that the words of Jesus Christ, whenever he was on the cross, said these things? It is what? Finished. It is done. It is over. I've completed the work that you have called me to do, he was saying to his father. He does give us strength. He does throw the horse and the rider into the sea. He does dry up the land. He does answer our requests. He does heal our broken hearts. He does save us when we call upon him in repentance and faith, asking for forgiveness. God is faithful. God is gracious. And God is good to us. Just listen to what he does in these verses. Listen to them. Read them over again sometime this evening. But in verse 4 it says, Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea. The depths covered them. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious and power. You dashed them in pieces. In thy greatness, thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. With the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered, and the floods stood upright as in heap, and the depths of their and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. God did these things, and we ought to proclaim it and be thankful for it and look back to it and see them as great examples of what God has done in the past and what God can do in the future. God is a great God. Look to Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 46 and 47. See them after the church has been established and has been confirmed together. What are they doing? The Bible says this, and they did continually eat with one another and with one accord, breaking from bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Listen to what Luke says. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And continually were they in the temple praising and blessing God. What about the shepherds? Whenever they saw that wonderful thing that night whenever the incarnation of Christ was happening. And the shepherds returned glorifying and what? Praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. 
And then Acts chapter 16, I've already alluded to you. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. We could go on and on and on and on tonight. But how often, how often do we say that this is what God has done in my life? I want to praise him for it. I want to lift up God. I want to, I want to thank the Lord for what he's done for me. Every time, I have a, every time I say that in a service, I say, how many of you want to just praise God for something? And undoubtedly, there will be somebody that will raise their hand and I say, I want to praise God for saving me. Amen? Hey, that's something God's done. Undoubtedly, I'll have somebody that will raise their hand and say, Pastor, I want to praise God for giving me my family. That's something God has done, all right? Uh, undoubtedly, I'll have somebody that will raise their hand and say, I want to praise God for healing me. For helping me. I want to praise God for delivering me in this situation. I want to praise God for helping me out in this place here. I want to praise God that he gave me a job. I want to praise God that he, uh, that he took care of me in this financially difficult time. I want to praise God. And we just praise him and praise him and praise him for what he has done. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his what? Goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Praise him for who he is and praise him for what he has done. We could go on here with this. But what a wonderful time of refreshing this must have been for them. But if God were to truly send us a heaven-sent revival, whether corporately or individually, we should all understand that the one thing that would come out of it all would be this, praising God. Look back to your verses here again in verse number 11. I love what it says in verses 9, 10, 9 and 10 there. You know, this is what the enemy always does. They say, I will overtake. I will divide. I will draw my sword. But what does God do? God speaks and it's over with. Who is like thee, fearful in praises? When you read Exodus 15, you don't hear anybody talking about a good floor show. You don't hear anybody talking about a well-delivered address. You don't hear anybody talking about a delightful time or, man, I really got goosebumps when I saw those. I mean, you might have had some goosebumps. I would have when I was seeing the seas come up on both sides of me and walking on dry land. But nobody's talking about those things. What are they saying? They're praising God for who he is and what he has done. And that's what a Christian always does. They praise God for who he is. And the outflow of that is, God, look what you've done in my life. I believe every believer, every one of us, could use a, if I can use it this way, a baptism again into the Red Sea experience. We could all use a fresh baptism of praising God and giving Him glory. We could all maybe spend some time alone with God and just saying, God, I want to thank you for who you are. God, I might not see you work in my life like I expect you to in the next year, like I would want you to, but God, I don't care. I'm going to praise you for who you are. When Job went through all his trials... Through everything that he did, 
He did not ever curse God. When Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned, they were praising God, praising the Lord. When Jesus was sweating great drops of blood and agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thine be done. He gave glory to God. And we don't just praise God in the, bad, in the good times. Amen? That's when it's easy to praise God. We don't just praise God when things are going smooth and, and where the money's flowing in and the job is going well and, and the kids are behaving and nobody's sick. I mean, that's easy to praise God in those times. But we praise God in the tough times, in the difficult times, in the hard times. And when we see God do something great and marvelous, we should lift up our, 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 our mouths and we should praise the Lord. Let us not be quiet about praising God anymore. But let us praise the Lord for who He is, number one, and for what He has done. Father, thank You for all You do. Thank You for...